Hello, podcasters. Teresa McBean here at North Star Community, and I am here with... Scott McBean, also at North Star Community. We did the math, and we realized we're several podcasts behind, as in six. six. (laughs) Um, But I don't think I was here when you gave this message, and when I was reading over your notes... Uh, do I always say that every message you're doing is my favorite message you ever gave? You do, so it, that doesn't mean very much uh, to anybody anymore. Well, I really like this message. Um, I'm going to try to find one that I think is really sucky, and then I'll I'll be really complainy about it. But this wasn't that. So I love this message. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a real timely message for the world today. Yeah, so... Um, this message, you know, we're kind of, um, we did this one-off thing that we didn't really plan for in talking about wisdom, and um, you had done this message on wisdom sort of begins with acknowledging the harm that we cause, which was a really good one. That was one of the ones where we had a lot of really honest conversation on the weekend. Um, and then um, the last podcast, the one that that um, I think I just uploaded, was about, you know, wisdom is understanding when we need to have something to shoot for in life, when we, um, you know, part of, it's it's sort of assumed both in faith and recovery that part of figuring out who you want to be is learning who to imitate. You know, I mean, uh, what is that phrase that they use in AA, like, um, something it, something like look for the person who has what you want kind right. of thing and right. follow that? That's not the... F- I think a, they have a catchier way of saying it. but well, That's pretty close. And in particular, I think they're talking about when you're trying to get a sponsor. Right. <clears throat> Which yeah, in yeah. non-AA lingo or NA lingo would be, you know, a mentor, somebody that whose footsteps you're following in. Yeah. And so part of the sponsor-sponsee relationship is imitating, right? Yeah. And yeah. so um, being, being a wise person has, has to do with a number of things, but um, learning who to imitate. Um, acknowledging the harm that you've done. You know, this, this whole 12-step process is about um, finding, discovering, reclaiming wisdom. Right. You know, right. or moving into it for the first time. So I was um, flipping through the, the Proverbs, and I came across this passage about being a neighbor. Um, you know, I wish, you know, there was more that went into the formation of this message than that. And because we're at least six weeks behind, I can't even remember what it was. But I mean, I love this passage, and it was one that I don't know that I had really spent time with before, hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about it. So um, it went something like this. The poor are disliked. Sorry, let me start that over. The poor are disliked even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Those who despise their neighbors are sinners, but happy are those who are kind to the poor. Well, that's such a weird, um, counterintuitive, maybe almost makes no sense kind of passage, right? The poor are disliked even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. And those who despise their neighbors are sinners, but happy are those who are kind to the poor. Um, you know, so we think, what do we do with that? What could that even possibly mean? You know, how does that make sense uh, in today's world? You look like you have something. Well, I was just thinking, you know, I think it's much more than this, but the most 
But the most shallow response, I think, is, well, um, uh, people like rich people in the hopes that rich people will give them things. That's been my experience of people around rich people. I find it very annoying because Mm -hmm. I think it's so disrespectful to people who just happen to have uh, a decent bank account. Just because they're rich with their bank account doesn't mean that they're rich, and I just think it's very dishonoring of them to only see them one-dimensionally. So it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Um, But I think there's more to it than that, and I think you really uh, give us something to think about because you began unpacking what does it mean to be poor. And you and I were talking at lunch about the fact that a lot of times we're more vulnerable when we're when we're at our um, more open to change, more open to wisdom, more tender when we've had a big setback in life. And um, so despising despising people at their most tender uh, place uh, really seems painful to me. Uh, so yeah. yeah, tell me well, about what 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 you think being poor means. Well, let's take a step back um, because I think that one of the key things here is like when we think about being a neighbor. I mean, when we when we had this conversation on the weekend, we started with what do you think of as being a neighbor? You know, and you kind of get a lot of fairly typical responses: somebody who you, somebody who's a close friend, somebody who thinks like you, somebody who lives near you, yada yada yada. And um, so we talked about the fact that in in sort of biblical times, um, a neighbor was somebody who lived close to you. Um, and you also, you know, you're talking about people who um, your groups were defined based on sort of ethnic lines, right, in those days. And so, you know, you're, you're sort of one big family, you know, and, and people thought about the integrity of the group before the integrity of the individual, which is like, what I mean by that is, how the group is seen and how the group is honored is much more important than how I'm honored, right. which is the total opposite of our society. I mean, people would askew their families in a heartbeat right. if it meant that they were able to be uh, somehow given a status or a position in the world, you know, right. in our culture. Right. You know, the individual is king and the, and the group takes a backseat to that. And if you can stand out from the group, um, you know, more power to you, that kind of right, thing. Right. And so we have this situation where you have a very, very group-oriented people, and the the group, the status of the group and the success of the group is determined, uh, you know, people will sacrifice for that, you know. And so the neighbors are your family members, um, and the neighbors, you know, taking care of your neighbors, taking care of the group, right? And and so that is the just the number one sort of most important thing on everybody's mind. And so... Um, Why would they end up with a proverb like this then? Right. Um, so... Um, is, it a weak, is it a weak link kind of thing? Like the poorest among you drain, drain the uh, health of the group? Um. Well, I think that, you know, even though that was even though that was true, you know, that people pursued the group, you know, it's still hard to actually put into practice of, you know, caring for those around you, but what it would mean for the for the person uh for the poor person to be disliked even by their neighbors or for the um 
or to be despised by their neighbors, it basically means, you know, in this context, you don't have a community, right? You're totally like, isolated. You're totally isolated. The poor are essentially disliked, even by those who are most responsible for helping them out. You know, if you live in a, in a day and age where you've got this group mentality and the group isn't taking care of you, then you are completely isolated. You've been left on the outside. And that's not really how it was supposed to be, right? I mean, you've, but imagine how much worse it is to not be taken care of in a situation where taking care of everybody in the group is way more important even than it is to us today. Right. Right. So, like, what this shows, I think, is it's magnifying how big the problem is. Um, when people fall short of the ideal of caring for somebody. And so, you know, when we talked about being poor, what does it mean to be poor in this situation? It means, well, um, you're totally alone in your misfortune, right? You have nobody to provide for you, nobody to sort of help you stay on your feet, much less to help you get back on them. Right. Right, to be a total outsider. And so for that reason, I think it's helpful so often we talk about poverty in, in spiritual circles, we go a couple different ways. You're either spiritually poor, you know, and people love to have that conversation. Right. Well, poor doesn't mean not having possessions. It means being spiritually poor. Right. Or you've got people who say, well, it's it's only, you know, people who don't have possessions and there's no other way to look at it. And, and both of those seem somewhat unsatisfying to me. I mean, it can be both at the same time, right? Like we need to think about it sort of holistically. But the big problem, you know, one of the biggest problems is that regardless of whether you're spiritually poor or material, materially poor, is if you have nobody there for you, right, in the midst of that, I mean, that is just, that's the height of, of isolation, loneliness, and, and, and even despair. Yeah. Yeah, that would be terrible. And I think maybe we live in a world that really could use a rethink on that, right? Um, thinking about a friend of mine who saw a bumper st sticker recently, and I won't tell you the whole bumper sticker because it would cause you to either feel defensive or judgmental, depending on your political party, but it went something like this. This particular party, blank, um, working hard so that you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And um, gosh, what a painful uh, reminder of a world where we despise the poor. I, I'm guessing that that was like, tongue-in-cheek, you know, like a little bit resentful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking. And I, and I think, you know, how great that must be, in a way, to be able to despise the poor because then you don't have to empathize with them. You don't have to uh, sacrifice and suffer on their behalf. You can, uh, there's some convenience in being able to distance yourself from them. Well, and also, you know, in there, wrapped up in that is sort of this idea that um, everybody's responsible to provide their own support system. Right. You know, that, that God forbid we be in a situation where we do 
uh, work hard to provide for each other. You right. know, not n- n- nobody wants a situation where, you know, half the population or whatever is just living off the other half and not really working and not really thriving and that kind of thing. Nobody wants that. But I mean, uh, so often we talk about these things as if, you know, nobody's responsible per- for providing support for anybody else. Right. And that's the part that always makes me raise my eyebrow. I mean, you know, the, you know, to go back a few minutes, I mean, you know, to talk about poverty in this context, in this passage is like poverty is about the experience of misfortune while being isolated from your support system. You know, experiencing misfortune is bad enough and not to have a support system is even worse. And, um, you know, I mean, we could have whole conversations about, you know, what role governments play in these kinds of things. Those conversations tend to not be super interesting to me. Um, because, you know, we've already decided that we've got one solution or the other and, right. you know, you can argue about it till you're blue in the face, but, um, you know, the solution, you know, the interesting thing about these verses is that the solution to the problem that we have here of the poor being disliked by their neighbors is for people to be kind to them. Yep. You know, and the people who are kind to the poor, the people who are kind to those who are experiencing misfortune and don't have a support system become happy. You know, yes. happy, lucky, and blessed. You know, I mean, those are three kinds of word choices that we could be thinking through. And so it seems to me that the, the solution to the problem that we have is a, is a community one. I mean, it doesn't say that um, when the poor receive kindness, they stop being poor. Right. You know, it, it's that they now have support. Right. And um, I think that is a radical message, too. Um, you know, we live in a society that, that is so afraid of not having material things that so many of our conversations in politics are about the various strategies for getting material things to people. I mean, on one side of the equation, it's like um, having more jobs and having more opportunities and more education is going to make people have more material stuff. And on the other side, it's like, well, if we have more government programs and people are going to have more material stuff, but nobody's really thinking about the idea that, you know, maybe material stuff isn't, isn't the number one path towards human thriving. Right. I mean, within, within limits, right. Right. Like, um, well, somebody that's got a hungry belly, no matter how kind you are to them at the end of the day, they're still hungry. But I think what you're getting at is that kindness is the first step because kindness requires us to lean in. And I think when you lean in and you're kind and you know someone, your solution for getting um, bread in their belly is probably a more sustainable one because you're, you've personalized and, and the, the problem so that you can personalize the solution. Yeah, but also... Um, there is that, but there's also like, it's not just about hungry people, right? Like it's about people who are cut off from their support system. Right. And so we can, you know, it's important to think very broadly about these things so that we know what it means to be kind, right? I mean, it's like being kind is, um, about being on the lookout. Being kind is about the desire to be a support system for somebody and not just to assume that everybody needs to be their own source of support. Um, 
you know, for better or for worse, I don't know that many people who really are hungry at the end of the day. I mean, some maybe, but not a ton, and I suspect that's the case for most people listening to this. And that's kind of why I try to get us to think larger about something like poverty is that, yes, I mean, it can be those things, and that's wrapped up into it, and that is definitely a source of suffering, right? Right. People who don't have enough food, that is a source of suffering. Right. No question. Oh, no, that's me. I love it when you make a mistake. That was my cell phone going off. I'm going to leave this in just so that everybody knows. It wasn't me. I'm I'm so happy. (laughs) But the idea is that, you know, because also when you only talk about it in terms of material things and like that can provide a solution that's too easy too. like if you have, you know, I know this one person that doesn't have enough food, I'll drop off a loaf of bread and there we go. I did my kindness and I'm happy. Right. Right. But if we think larger about the kindness in terms of provide truly providing support social support in addition to maybe material support, then now we're really thinking hard about what it means to be a community. Right. And what it means to be a community to those who don't have a community. Right. Or at least for those who the community is not operating um, at full capacity for. Right. And um, I don't know, what are your what are your reactions to that? Well, I think that it reminds me of um, how important it is to try to pay attention so that you can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend that's an immigrant, for example, um, that I met in a work relationship. And... Um, For whatever reason, I was able to see her point of poverty, and it had nothing to do with her finances. But it had to do with feeling like an alien and a stranger in a foreign land, but with no hope of returning to her homeland. And, um, you know, we've, we've developed a friendship, and there is, uh, and I'm the happy and the lucky one because she is such a delightful human being. Um, so I really, uh, have experienced the reality of what happens when I pay attention. And I've also experienced the, um, a lot of lost opportunities because I wasn't paying attention and I wasn't defining poverty, uh, broadly enough to notice it and apply some human kindness so, you know, uh, having been on both sides of that coin and having been in a state of poverty myself, um, to me, this seems like something that every single one of us could think about and apply. And that's what I love about it, too. I mean, we run into people who are experiencing poverty of one kind or another multiple times a day. Well, and I think in general in our community, we've got a lot of people who have a lot of problems, and they have varying degrees of support. Yeah. I mean, some people have, have deeper roots in our community than others, and so that means some people have an easier source of support than others, and 
And so I would encourage us not to think about the most obviously needy people, although we should be thinking about them as well, but also be thinking about the people among us who maybe don't have the connections that we have and looking for opportunities to like um, be a connection for somebody who really needs a connection. You know, if you notice that there's somebody that you haven't connected with, then that's a person who could possibly use another connection, you right. know? And so that's kind of... Um, You know, that was kind of where I had closed the message is like, let me make a recommendation, you know, be on the lookout. Right. Um, Because we so often sort of get lost in in our own little bubbles and what's normal for us. And we talk to the same people and, um, you know, you you get trapped in these little feedback loops and you're not thinking about the fact that there's a person over there you know, who's a part of my community who I see every weekend. And I don't really know that person at all. And, you know, if that's true, then that may be a person who needs you. Right. You know, and don't overlook the people who are right around you. I think that's one of my frustrations with the way we deal with wealth and poverty versus is it's always some big grand gest in, in, sorry, let me back up. The way that we deal with wealth and poverty versus in the churches is it tends to end up in, we need to do a big grand gesture to go find poor people, and then do something for them. Right. And, you know, um, I think it's good to do gestures for people who need them, right? I'm not taking away from that, but I'm also saying the problem is not always outside of our community. Like, there are always problems inside of the community as well, and we shouldn't overlook those things just so we can feel good about going outside of it and doing something for somebody who we don't even know. Right. Well, we have plenty of examples of people who who come here looking for some help who um, and support who are members of very large and thriving churches, for example, but they don't think that there's any support or help in their particular church. Yeah. And um, that always makes me feel sad, too. Yeah, it's almost as if, you know, in such cases as that, it's like if you're here, you're okay, and the problems are somewhere else. And I think we're all in danger of thinking that, you know, in our own families, in our work environments, and wherever, we're so accustomed to thinking like, um, you know, nobody here could be that bad off. Right. Like you never know what's going on with another person. And, um, yeah, I think that's kind of what I was trying to get at with this is you never know what's going on with another person just because you're really comfortable seeing another person you know doesn't mean that we don't need to connect on a deeper level right and um yeah yeah well i'm sorry i missed that message it was a good one and uh well worth our time to consider i might have to go back and look at that proverb too yeah i don't think i've ever read that with the intentionality that I should have. Yeah, well, you know, that one shows up uh, very differently depending on the translation that you look at, but I think we kind of got to the spirit of it. Good. So I have a recommendation for our week's recommendation, which is how we end this thing. Yeah. I found a lovely book that I'm working through, and it's just delightful. And it's called uh, Spiritual Rhythms of the Enneagram. And it's from a distinctly Christian perspective. Okay. It's written by four pastors hmm. who happen to be... Do they know the Enneagram well? Two couples. 
Well, they they seem to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've only begun, so I'll save my criticism mm. uh, for later on. Um, in my spirit of not another example of pastors hijacking things that they know very little about. I don't think so. That's I mean, good. this thing is robust. I ordered you one, so you can have your own opinions about it later and retract mm-hmm. the recommendation if you don't like it. <laughs> But the thing I love about it is that they have they have given the reader a lot. Uh, I mean, like, I got some new school supplies because it, you've got to work through it and answer questions. But they also have um, uh, uh, a Bible study little component in each, each one as well as um, some great spiritual practices and particular prayers based on the number. And they encourage the reader to work through every number in the book, Hmm. even if you know it's not your number. And they've written it in such a wonderful and creative way that they that they are encouraging you to find your empathy and compassion and understanding uh, for each number. So I think it's a great little book. It's called Spiritual Rhythm Rhythms of the Enneagram. And if you're an Enneagram person, you're going to love it. If you're not an Enneagram person, you might want to consider it. I think it would be an interesting way to learn it, learn the Enneagram. Um, I'm going to recommend, um, if you have a person in your life who you have a complicated relationship with or somebody who you think needs to make a significant change, so for instance, I know nobody's in this situation, but if you had a loved one who had a substance use issue, I'm going to recommend the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers, M-I-N-T is what it's called, MINT. Um, motivational Interviewing is a technique that, um, it's a, it's not necessarily, it's, I guess it is a technique, but it's a different way of having a conversation with somebody, um, a different way of sitting down and, and being with somebody that um, helps you cue in on, um, some important things that they're thinking and going through, but it can, it's a way of conversing with somebody that can really help facilitate and motivate change. But it's not about you motivating the other person. It's a way of being with somebody so that they figure out what's motivating them so that they're motivated to change from within, which gives them a great deal of ownership over it. And, um, so let me let me boil that down for you because we've had a role reversal here. I think what you just said might sound like nonsense. So let me just oh, say this. Okay. Good. Um this is what you're always doing to me, which I appreciate. So I know you'll appreciate this. Uh, motivational interviewing is a way to have a conversation that leaves the person you're talking to more inspired. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um Basically, if you have somebody in your life and you're trying to figure out how do I be helpful with them in, in um, helping them think through change, motivational interviewing would be one tool that might be useful. And so um, I would recommend looking up that, that network and seeing where, um, where a training might be um, near you and uh, consider attending. I don't know what these kinds of events cost. I'm sure they're not free, so my apologies if they're really exorbitantly expensive. I kind of doubt they are, but it's possible. Uh, I just don't know. So um, we've even been approached about doing some uh, holding some here, here in our yeah. community. So you might want to keep your eye out. Yeah, for that, that, too. that could be uh, that could be in the near future. I received my training through VCU, so I didn't have to worry about that. But uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm recommending motivational interviewing, and 
Yep, um, probably you've been hearing music for a while now. It's courtesy of uh, Blue Dot Sessions. You can find them on the web at sessions.blue, royalty free. We are North Star Community. We appreciate uh, you listening, and we will be back soon. <laughs>